Welcome back to the Eucatropolis Podcast. I'm your host, James Hill. In this episode, we're going to explore how to achieve escape velocity from the first three frets, how to launch yourself into the upper reaches of the fretboard in a way that is easy to follow and empowering. And along the way, we're going to discover a new fret called fret zero, and we'll see why fret zero is the key to it all. Stick around. Welcome back. It's been another busy week in Eucatropolis, especially over at 1879 Apparel, which is our clothing brand that helps us celebrate the birth of the ukulele in the year 1879. We just launched a summer collection of new items. I know it's not summer everywhere, but for lack of a better term, we're calling it the summer collection. And so far, the most popular item there has been uh, a navy t-shirt that says on the back, what the world needs now is ook, sweet ook. (laughs) I hope you'll go check it out um, along with some of the other new offerings at 1879 Apparel. You can find that at 1879.co, 1879.co. And in that spirit, what the world needs now is ukulele. In that spirit, we're going to explore how you can get more from your ukulele, and how you can show more people how to make more music on this wonderful instrument. And what I'm talking about specifically is how to set yourself free from the first three frets. Because we tend to get stuck there, right? I mean, when you first pick up the ukulele, you might have learned how to play a chord, Maybe you played all the open strings. One of my favorite chords of all time. Maybe you played a C chord. Or my personal favorite first chord, which is C7. First finger on the first fret of the first string. Kind of a hint, don't you think? A hint from the universe that maybe... The chord C7 should be the first chord that you teach a person or that you learn when you're first picking up the ukulele. First finger on the first fret of the first string. And indeed, that is exactly what I do when I'm starting beginners. I start them with that wonderful C7 chord. Not only because C7 just sounds nice on its own and and it's easy to play, but also because... It is the twin chord uh, of another wonderful chord that is played in almost the exact same way where you just jump that first finger over to the second string and you get that sound. Ah, isn't that nice? And now with just one finger, I have... Beautiful. Two very useful chords side by side. And if you've ever done my Booster Uke course online, you'll know that this is the foundation for an entire method called Booster Uke, which is based on these kinds of easy relationships on the fretboard. I call these chord twins, and, well, it changed the way I play the ukulele. It changed the way I teach the ukulele. 
And uh, I hope it can do the same for you. So check out boosteryuke.com. You'll find exactly what I'm talking about there. But I'm getting off track a little bit. I'm getting off track because um, what I really want to get into today is to follow up on a question that was posted by Bastien. And Bastien is uh, one of the teachers in the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. And at the moment, he's working on level two of that program, which takes six months per level to complete. He's in level two right now. And he's working on uh, learning how to teach a lesson where students learn a song called Something Good, What? (laughs) That really is the name of the song, Something Good, What? Let's have a quick listen to the song, and then I'll tell you what Bastien's question was, and also why it's called Something Good, What? As you can hear, this song is full of chromatic melody. That's where we play notes in sequence that are only one fret apart. That's part of the chromatic scale. And you'll hear this long descending line. That's where students literally play every note on the fretboard from the 12th fret all the way down to the open string. They play that as the introduction to the piece, they play that in the middle of the piece, and they play that at the very end of the piece. Sliding down, we call this the chromatic slide, from the 12th fret to the 11th, 10th, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, open string, all the way down, and you never skip a single fret. It's really fun to play, and it's kind of a safe way of getting out of the rut of the first three frets, where we feel most comfortable, you know? Some people don't want to climb up the tree to the upper branches. They feel like if they get to those upper frets, if they get to those upper branches, they feel like they're going to fall out of the tree. It's terrifying. Of course, the reality is, we're moving horizontally. (laughs) We're not climbing up at all. But hey, I know, it's irrational. It's an irrational fear. The irrational fear of musical heights. (laughs) Well, this song is uh, written to try to get students over that phobia of the upper frets. And so, as you can imagine, it's very fun to teach. And it's very fun to teach this chromatic slide. One finger. You never skip a fret. It makes you feel like, hey, I just traveled the entire world. I just went around the world. I played every single fret from 12 all the way through to zero. I did it. You know, well... The world is now your oyster. The fretboard is your oyster. And now that you've played 
all of those notes, hmm, you can go back to one of them and it doesn't seem so scary. So Bastien is now learning how to teach this song and learning how to bring it to life for his students. And one of the things he notices right away is that when students are doing that descending chromatic slide, or as I like to call it, the chromatic waterfall, when they're coming down the string like that, well, there's a chord happening in behind that at the same time. The chord sounds like this. And that chord, of course, you know, um, bolsters the sound of the melody and gives some context for that melody note. And it's especially important for the teacher to be able to play this chord while the students are playing the melody. And eventually, it's really nice for the students to learn how to do that chromatic waterfall with the chord as well as the note that they started with. And this is where Bastien's very good question comes in. He says, regarding that movable chord shape, this one that I'm playing here, that I'm able to move down by fret. He says, I usually fret that with my thumb on the G string, on the fourth string. He says, I know we're not there yet to teach this chord, but when we are, how should I teach this chord? Because he's, he's sort of uh, wondering, you know, I don't do this in a conventional way. He uses his thumb coming over, sort of a Jimi Hendrix style. But how should I sort of teach this chord properly? How do I get students to play this descending waterfall of chords? Well, this is a really great question. And it speaks to something that is kind of universal for ukulele players. And that's why this question really jumped out at me. And that is, how do we scaffold our way out of the home position. The home position is where you feel most comfortable in the first three frets, maybe four frets. How do we climb out of that position and explore the upper branches of the ukulele tree (laughs) without fear? How do we do that? Well, this is a great question. And the answer, I hope, can help everyone whether you're a teacher, whether you're a student, whether you're just curious about what lies beyond the third or fourth fret, what we're going to do now is hopefully of use to you. Okay, so how do you do it? How do you go from a place where you feel comfortable to a place where you may not feel comfortable without inducing too much panic or fear? (laughs) Well, here's the thing. As a very general rule, start with something you know and move toward something you don't know. I know that sounds really painfully obvious, but I got to start there. This general guiding principle in teaching, which is start with something you know and move toward something you don't know. Well, in this case, what do students know? Well, They know some chords in that home position. Let's start there. That's something they know. Let's start with, oh, I don't know, C7. (laughs) We've already seen C7 today, and you know it's my favorite starting chord. Well, let's go right back to the beginning. Let's say that I've already taught a student how to play C7. 
And if you missed the opening of the episode, <laughs> it's just first finger on the first fret of the first string. One of the greatest chords ever invented. First finger on the first fret of the first string. Also gives you an opportunity, by the way, to test whether your students or jam friends can pinpoint a note by verbal instruction. You know, if you say first finger on the first fret of the first string and they play this, well, then you know that they're not understanding your verbal instructions. And you know that if you say second finger on the fourth fret of the third string, they're going to be even more lost, right? So first finger on the first fret of the first string, it gives you this opportunity to test whether people are understanding what you are saying and whether they can find notes based on those verbal coordinates. So, so important, not just for teaching, but also for jam session leading as well, right? You want to be able to call out chords and notes and have people understand what you're saying. So first finger on the first fret of the first string, C7, fine. But this is not where we want to stay. We want to move this C7 way, way up the neck, but we can't just skip right to escape velocity, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's an ignition step here that we might be missing. If we just say, okay, now everybody, you know C7, so let's just move the C7 up. Do you think you're going to lose some people? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to lose some people. You're going to lose almost everyone if you miss the ignition step and you go straight to launch, right? So what is the ignition step here? What is the step that most people just forget about or overlook completely and then wonder why the students aren't making the connection to these upper reaches? Well, the ignition stage of this teaching learning progression is fret zero. So yeah, what is fret zero? Well, fret zero is this kind of imaginary fret that exists behind the nut of the ukulele. The nut being that piece of plastic or sometimes bone that the strings go over on their way to the tuning pegs. That little piece of plastic or bone, that is the nut. And then right behind it, where we never put our finger, that is the imaginary fret zero. Hmm. And if you put your finger there, it feels kind of weird. You may never have done that before. If you lie your finger down across fret zero and you strum the open strings, it should sound exactly the same, <laughs> right? Because your fingers are not affecting the strings. Of course, if you push down too hard, you'll actually get sort of a whammy bar sound, which, hey, if you let the cat out of the bag there, Good luck to you. If you tell your students that they can do the whammy bar by pressing down behind the nut, that's all you're going to hear, you know, for the next three weeks. Okay, so maybe don't open that Pandora's box, but, you know, unless you want to. <laughs> kind of fun. Okay, where was I? You see how distracting that is? First finger is now on fret zero, but 
I still want to play the C7 chord. Hmm, you can see where I'm going with this, right? Now, in order to play the C7 chord, you're going to have to use the middle finger. Yes, the rude finger. The middle finger on the first fret of the first string. And it should sound exactly the same as it did before. But, oh my, it does not look the same. And it certainly does not feel the same. My first finger lying across the strings behind the nut. This is weird, right? This is weird. In kind of a good way. In sort of a silly, I didn't know we were allowed to do that kind of way. And that makes it fun to teach. I mean, as if the whammy bar thing wasn't fun enough. This is kind of those, one of those breaking the rules moments that students like. Feels like they're looking behind the curtain <laughs> at something they're not supposed to see. You know? This is the secret of bar chords. And this really is that ignition stage that sometimes we skip over. And you can play songs like this with the first finger just lying there doing nothing behind the nut. Maybe the wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. Now I know this sounds totally normal, but to me I'm sitting here and it actually feels quite weird. And if you're playing along, which I hope you are, then I think it'll feel weird for you too. This is kind of strange to have this first finger unemployed and just lying down on the job in behind the nut. And all of the, the notes that are normally fretted by the first finger are now fretted by the middle finger. And the rub is that for all this work we're doing, it actually comes out sounding exactly the same as it always did. But it's not the same, is it? It's not the same because you are now ready to do something that you weren't ready to do before. And that is take the whole thing and just bump it up one fret. Hmm. I just bumped it up one fret. Now my first finger, instead of lying down lazily behind the nut on fret zero, now my first finger is pressed back into service on fret number one. Straight across on fret number one, my middle finger is now on fret number two, and I get this. Aha. Now my first finger has to suddenly wake up from its lazy slumber. And now, instead of just lying there like it was doing on fret zero, it had kind of a free ride on fret zero. Now, it's really got to pull its own weight. It has to push down into that first fret and cover all the strings so that I get nice, clear sound. The good news is, well, it'll never be more difficult than it is in the first fret. Because the first fret, as you know, has the most tension of any fret on the fretboard. That first fret, because it's so close to the nut, you really have to push down. So don't get bogged down with the difficulty of playing bar chords on the first fret. Move past that. You can always go back and sort of master first fret bar chords, but that is where they are most difficult, kind of ironic, that bar chords actually get easier as you move up the neck, right? Let's go to the second fret. Do exactly the same thing. 
I'm playing what looks like C7 to F add 9, which is that uh, twin chord of the C7. And I can do this now all the way up the fretboard. I have achieved escape velocity. But it was only through that ignition stage of fret 0 that I was able to do it. So that's how I often begin with students, when I can see that they're ready to explore chords beyond the first three frets. Well, I kind of have to get them into bar chords. But if I throw them in the deep end of bar chords, it doesn't usually work. So that's the scaffolding that I use to get them from something that they know toward something that they don't know. Now, I've almost answered Bastien's question, but not quite. Because unfortunately, in this song, something good, what? We're not using the C7 chord. And just as a tangent, why is it even called something good, what? Well, this is a song that I wrote dedicated to my first ukulele teacher, Jamie Thomas. Jamie Thomas grew up in the province of Nova Scotia, Canada, which is the province where I live now, and the home province of J. Chalmers Doan, the godfather of Canadian ukulele. Jamie Thomas grew up learning the ukulele from Chalmers, and then I think that inspired him, in part at least, to become a music teacher. He moved out west to the other side of the country. He became a teacher, just happened to be a teacher at the school that I went to. I learned ukulele from him, and then I moved east, and now... I'm a full-time ukulele player, and Chalmers Doan and I play pool every Friday. So, yeah, the circle of ukulele. But I remember clearly growing up with songs that Jamie Thomas would write. And one of my favorites was a song called Blueberry Puddin' and Brown Sugar Sauce. And I guess it was about a dessert that he would get when he would visit his relatives in Cape Breton. Cape Breton is the northern part of Nova Scotia. It's its own island, and they have their own slang and their own accent, and it's a wonderful place. I really hope you get a chance to travel there someday. It's well worth the trip. And in Cape Breton, they love to put the word what at the end of pretty much any sentence. What? Like this, it doesn't matter what sentence it is, you can just end any sentence with the word what? 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 <laughs> And so at the end of the chorus of Blueberry Puddin' and Brown Sugar Sauce, it says, uh, cut it into squares, put sauce everywhere, just floating in the bowl. Put a big spoonful in your mouth, let ecstasy unfold. Smooth as silk going down the hatch, just hear those taste buds sing. With a ooh-whoop, ziggity-ow, something good, what? So where were we? Back to Bastien's question, which is, well, how do we do this chromatic waterfall with a chord. Well, we know already that we can move students in a sequential way out of the home position. The only trouble is um, we need a different chord shape to get this to happen. It's a little more complex a problem because in this case we're moving the chord G7. You know, sometimes when you're driving down the uh, the highway and you see a really wide load, like somebody is hauling uh, a prefab home, that's kind of what we're asking students to do. We're asking them to pick up a chord and 
move it down the highway. Now, some things are easier to move than others. You know, if I ask you to pick up this tree fort and move it down the highway, well, that's not going to be too hard. You know, it fits nicely on the on the pallet and away we go. That's kind of like a C7 cord. It's pretty easy to move around. But then if I ask you to pick up this like 200-year-old church and put it on the back of a truck and move it down the road, well, that's going to be a little more tricky. You know, you're going to have to be a little more careful and more things can go wrong. That's a bit like moving a G7 cord, <laughs> especially the first time you try to do it. You're like, how am I going to move this G7 cord up the fretboard without the whole thing just falling apart? You know, it's just going to fall off the truck. So we go back to our three-stage progression for getting out of home position, for achieving escape velocity. Do you remember? First, we just play the G7 chord the way we always do. Remember, we're going from something we know toward something we don't know. And the second stage, the ignition stage, is fret zero. We are going to lie the first finger down on fret zero, behind the nut, and with the fingers that we have left over, we're going to play the G7 chord. And if it sounds exactly the same as before, but feels different, then we know we're doing it right. That's two out of three. And the third and final step, you guessed it, launch. Move everything up by one fret. Remember, that is the hardest move to make. Going from fret zero to fret one, that is the hardest part. So if that doesn't quite work, keep going. And you and your students might find that it actually gets easier as you move past that problem spot. Now we've got this G7 chord that is floating away like a, like a big red balloon. Actually getting easier the higher we get as the strings get less tense. We just keep moving it up and moving it up until finally the highest sounding fingers on the fretboard reach the 12th fret. And that is the starting point of this chromatic waterfall. And by the way, we're only two frets away from it turning back into a G7 chord. If you have that many frets on your ukulele and you can get your index finger onto the 12th fret, and remember, you don't have to lie your index finger down across all of the strings in this case because other fingers are fretting those strings. So you can just use the index finger on the fourth fret once you get comfortable in this position. When you get that index finger all the way to the 12th fret, well, lo and behold, you have turned this back into a G7 chord only one octave higher. So, Bastien, I hope that helps to address your question in more detail than I was able to in the uh, lesson comments. And I hope that helps others who are 
both for themselves and for their students, trying to achieve escape velocity, trying to climb up the ukulele tree into the upper branches, but trying to do it in a way that is positive, that is fun, and that's empowering. So take that, have fun with it, explore, and most importantly, pass these ideas on to others. Thank you, Bastien, for the great question. I hope that helps. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Euketropolis podcast. I'm your host, James Hill, and I'll be here for another couple of weeks, and then I'll be taking a break for the summer months here in Nova Scotia, but not a break entirely. I will be launching a really exciting new project that I've hinted at before on the podcast, and I will be dropping more hints about that project in the coming weeks. If the idea of playing and or singing on my next album is appealing to you, then you're going to love this. So stay tuned. More soon. Take care, and until next week, keep on strumming.